Um, okay, with that, we've had a lot of uh, announcements today, just kind of be back inside. Uh, let's pray, and we'll look at Colossians, sort of the intro to Colossians. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for this time that we can uh, gather to worship you through fellowshipping with one another, through um, through singing songs, uh, through studying your word. Lord, as we enter into Colossians, Lord, I pray that uh, you would sort of uh, whet our appetite for this this letter, this fascinating little letter that is so lofty. There's just a lot of theology in this in this uh, short epistle of Paul's. We pray that you would, uh, through this study, Lord, help us to understand more clearly uh, who Jesus is in the midst of a world that um, is trying to, to, to reduce him or minimize uh, his authority and um, just just who he is, Father. So we pray that you would help us to have clarity of who Jesus is and that we would rightly align our lives around him and his authority and uh, just that he's our creator and savior. And so we thank you, God, for the grace that you have demonstrated to us uh, through the gospel. We pray that you will continue to uh, renew our minds uh, through studying of your word. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Um, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also it has been constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. And Father, we do thank you and praise you again for this time. We ask that you would lead us, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we are, Colossians, a new letter. It, be, it begins. Uh, the, really, the first two verses of most epistles in the New Testament, the epistle is, is a letter from somebody to somebody. So the first two verses are kind of, should be viewed out like when you get a letter in the mail, uh, you kind of see who it's to, who it's from. A lot of times there's junk mail. Um, the junk mail's getting trickier these days. Like I've noticed that there's like handwritten stuff. Like they're going to like, hand, it's like, oh, I got a letter from, who is that person? And you open up and it's like, oh, you can refinance your house at this rate. It's like, ah, rat, he's tricked me. But it's like right away we know like who it's going to and who it's from. And, and that's the first few verses of Colossians. It starts out with Paul, an apostle of, Christ, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And so he identifies who he is. He is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. As we get into this letter, we'll see that this is a, a group of people that Paul hasn't ever met directly. And we'll also see that Paul's writing uh, while being incarcerated in, in Rome. And so 
uh, he, we'll get more into that later. So Paul's identifying himself as an apostle. He uh, identifies Timothy, who is his his uh, sort of his uh, his understudy, a guy that basically once Timothy linked up with Paul, he stayed with Paul. Paul uh, poured into him, mentored him, and ultimately. When Paul died, Timothy sort of uh, kind of took over leading some of the churches as he grew up. And so these two individuals are sort of behind this letter, Paul primarily. And then in verse 2, we see that it's the recipient, who this letter is going to. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. And so he's writing believers who find themselves in this town of Colossae. Uh, so this map behind me, which we have now that we didn't have outside, which I like maps. The bot, I, there's three circles. I tried to get the map as simple as possible. So the bottom right is, is basically Israel. At the southern part of Israel, you have the town of Jerusalem, which is a major location. As you move up from Israel, and then you hook the left turn or to the west, you hit what is modern-day Turkey. That whole region along the south was is the Galatian region, which the, the letter of Galatians that we just concluded, that that's where that letter went to. Uh, so modern-day Turkey. Uh, to the, the circle there is Colossae. And if you were to go 80 to 100 miles west, you would hit Ephesus. And so that's another important city uh, that we'll talk about later. And the top left is Rome, where Paul found himself uh, in jail writing this letter. Um, we believe that Paul wrote Colossians around AD 62. Uh, I mentioned that he didn't know the recipients and they, didn't, they knew of each other, but they, Paul didn't ever actually go there. So the question is, like, why is like, how did this relationship develop? And if we were to go to Acts chapter 19, verse 10, you don't have to go there. Uh, Luke writes historically about Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And he says this, which is Paul's ministry in Ephesus, about 80 miles west of Colossae, uh, took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so that middle red bubble, the town just to the left of it, is Ephesus. And so the Bible tells us there that Paul stood there for two years. I think collectively it was three years. It's the, it's the, the town that Paul spent most of his ministry and while he was there, he effectively started like a Bible college. And so all of these young men were, were coming, being trained and equipped by Paul, and then he was sending them out. Um, through this letter, we'll see that, like, I don't know, in this letter, but through that time, he, entered, he met two people. One guy was a guy named Philemon. There is a letter about uh, or to him called Philemon. It's very short. It's like one chapter. It's short and sweet. Uh, and then another guy that we're introduced to within Colossians is a guy named Epaphras. And so these two men really find themselves in this town of Colossae. There's, there's three other little towns uh, that, are, that are Greek and sounding. I'm not going to say them now because I don't really have them off the top of my... There's like Laodicea, and I think it's Hypole something like I said I wasn't going to try it, but I tried. And, uh, and so it's believed that Paul ministered to these guys while he was in Ephesus. And, and so in this letter, they're kind of introduced. And Epaphras 
he became a pastor. Like a, a, he hosted the, the Bible studies. He, he was leading the church in Colossae. It's believed that he made his way to Paul to express some concerns. And so Paul hears his concerns, and in response, Paul pens three letters. Three of the letters are known of, well, there's four prison epistles, and three of the four prison epistles uh, sort of come out of this encounter with Epaphras. And so he's in Rome, he's in jail, he hears the concerns. So he pens uh, letter number one is Colossi or Colossians. He's writing to this town. He's addressing the, the problems that we're going to look at shortly uh, within this letter. The second letter that he pens is Ephesians. And Ephesians is what's known as a circular letter. So it's a more of a general letter that was to circulate amongst all of the churches in, in that region. And then the third letter is Philemon. This little letter is just fascinating. And it's sort of the backdrop behind Colossians, um, because who he sends the letter back with is this guy named Onesimus. And so Onesimus goes back to his hometown with these three letters to deliver them to the individuals. And Onesimus, one of the letters, Philemon, he had to go to Philemon and deliver this letter, which would have been, I believe, would be sort of awkward. And the reason it would be awkward is because Philemon was a slaveholder, and one of the slaves that he owned was Onesimus. Onesimus stole some stuff and ran. He makes it to Rome, the great escape. He gets to Rome. He meets the apostle Paul. He hears the gospel. He gives his life to Christ. He tells him the story. Paul says, I know Philemon. We got a part of your journey in Christ is that you have to make some restitution and you need to make right what you have wronged. And so I'm going to write this letter for you. I'm going to send some cash. I'll pay for everything that you stole. And you need to go back, let Philemon know that you're back and that you're here, you're repenting, you're sort of, you want to restore things and get right with God and him. It's powerful. So that's, that's the other thing. Then we, Epaphroditus, that he had shared with Paul sort of the, the, the spurring of Colossians, is, is that Gnosticism, which is this Greek belief for uh, finding information, that it was limited to, to certain people, and they sort of controlled access to how God or the gods worked. And he saw that as the gospel took root in Colossae and these individuals' uh, lives were being changed, he saw a problem which we refer to as syncretism, which syncretism means is that you, you're syncing up with the culture around you. And so instead of letting Christ create their worldview and orientate how they see the world and how they interact with others, they sort of added Christ to this mix of everything, and Christ was really reduced. And so Epaphroditus is this young pastor. He doesn't know how to deal with it. He goes to the Apostle Paul and he says, I, I'm, I don't know how to deal with this. And so I think that, that Paul uh, ministered to Epaphroditus, gave him some wisdom on how he could lead the church through this. And he said, you know what, I'm going to write a letter and then you can use this letter to kind of help. And so Colossians, as we get in, this, this is a letter 
that I sort of imagine like the video of a space shuttle when it takes off, how it goes from the ground to like space in like three minutes. And it gets really lofty really fast, and we're going to have to put on our thinking caps as we work through this letter. But it will challenge us, and if we go through it and study it and apply it to our hearts, it's, it's going to be very applicable to us because we live in a world that is really trying to reduce who Jesus is and, and the significance of who he is how the, the church's role in our lives and society, like all of this is being challenged. And so, so much of this is very relevant. Okay, the last part, common, common greeting that's throughout the New Testament. Paul takes two words. One is a Hebrew term that, for common greeting, and the other was a Greek term. And he sort of uh, took these two common greetings and sort of Christianized them and put some theology behind them. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So grace is how the Greeks would say hello. If you go to Israel today and you meet somebody, you go to shake their hand, they don't say hello, they say shalom. Shalom is the word peace. And so he takes these two common greetings and he says, you know, grace to you and peace from God our Father. You can't uh, have peace with God apart from his grace. Um, it's, there's huge theological implications behind these words. Verse 3, he goes on to say, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the thing that always jumps out at me, at these, these uh, he's giving gratitude for them. He's going to say that, that he's, he's grateful for them. But in saying that he says he's thankful for them, he recognizes the, the originator of them. Who, who gave him them? Who gave us our relationships? Who created each one of us? He recognizes that God is the source be, behind any relationship that he has with them. And he says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he just starts with gratitude. It's the foundation of the Christian life. If you go through the Bible and just sort of look for words about being thankful and, and gratitude, it, it should embody our spirit and our nature and our character. And so he gives thanks to God for them. He knows he's about to, to give them some correction and to, um, to sort of challenge some of their thinking that had gotten off course. And yet he begins in these first few verses with this really this deep felt gratitude to God for them. And he's going to go into this beautiful prayer next week uh, for how grateful he is. I think there's lessons in this for us. If you ever find yourself in a position where you need to give correction to somebody, uh, whether it's, you know, it's Father's Day, so whether it's your child or uh, whatever whatever arena you're in that you're placed in authority to where you have to give some correction, I think that there's a, like very good wisdom in how Paul goes about this. He starts with gratitude. He starts with how thankful he is for them. Uh, he focuses on good things. We'll see that they're doing right. And I think that by doing this, he's keeping their ears and their hearts open to actually hearing what he says. If you... Uh, Follow the example of a lot of uh, the military world where you just come in like a blazon with like, you know, what an idiot they are and how like, you know, like I toned it down. But like you can really glow into blazon about like 
how worthless the individual is and how they never get anything right. And like, what, what, what happens when that happens to you? Your ears get shut. You're like, I'm not, you might be sitting there listening, but you're not listening. And so he really starts by, I think, giving thanks for them. He's going to sort of think through the things that they've done well. He's going to applaud them. I think it also gets his heart right as he begins to, to, to confront them. And so I think there's wisdom here for us um, to guard ourselves when we're in these moments, to guard ourselves from frustration and just uh, letting our temper spout out whatever we, whatever just comes out. Like, like that we control ourselves, we focus by giving gratitude for the situation, the individual, we praise them, and then we sort of enter in. He starts out by saying, I, pr- I pray always for you. And I think there's great importance of, of praying for one another. I, I, everything that we do is a, about gathering. And as we gather and we're around each other, we get to know one another and we share life with each other and we, we get to experience the ups and the downs. And, and when we are actually in these sort of meaningful relationships, when the bottom falls out on an individual's life, like you really can pray for the individual. Like getting a prayer request for people that you don't know, it's like, oh, I don't even know who that is. Like I'll pray, but eh, I, don't, I don't really know them. I'll pray if I can remember but then if you have actually shared life with an individual and they're going through something, like the stress of it all and like the, the pain that you're feeling, even though you're not actually going through it, but because you have that relationship, there's just a different sort of depth. And I think that Paul, even though he never met them, he was connected to them and he deeply loved them because of these mutual relationships. And he's, he says, I pray for you always. I think that we should be committed to praying for one another. If you signed up for the e-newsletter, there's the prayer request at the bottom. Uh, these are people who are sharing things that they need prayer for. Um, there's prayer after the service. That there, you know, there always is a, a prayer available for each other. That men's prayer group meets on on Wednesday. It's super not intimidating group. It's an hour long. First thirty minutes is making fun of Jim and and eating treats. And then we pray for like the last 15 or 20 minutes or so. And, uh, but, but there's like meaningful prayer. Uh, there's Bible studies that there's always prayer. And I, and I do think that really, um, that as Paul prayed for them, we need to be praying for one another. This happens through gen- genuine relationships. All right, verse 4. It's so weird being so quiet in here. I'm used to like cars and like coyotes. I'm like... There's like zero distractions, you know, like I need, I'm like, this is very awkward. (laughs) All right, verse four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. And so since since we heard of your faith in Christ, Paul didn't know them, but he's heard all about them and their response, probably through Epaphras. He says, I've gone there, I've started, planted this church, people are responding, this is amazing. Paul's like kind of coaching him, helping him along. He's super encouraged to see the gospel exploding in this little tiny town, uh, you know, 100 miles east of Ephesus, which is a huge metropolitan city. And he says, we've heard about your faith in Christ. We've heard about the love which you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which... You previously heard the word of truth. And so we see these three words that are so common uh, by, by Paul, faith, hope, and love. And he says, 
He's heard about their faith in Christ. We've heard about your love for one another, this outward focus that your reception of the gospel has now, it's being translated into actually doing stuff for other people. And the foundation, the driving force is the hope that you have in the future because of the gospel. Now, after going through Galatians, the, the gospel, I probably sound like a broken record. This is the, the foundation, the jugular vein of Christianity. We never outgrow its significance or importance. It says the word of truth, the gospel. And the gospel is, the truth is, is that we are separated from God because of our sinful condition. We are born sinful in nature, and as a result, our propensity to sin is widespread. We're separated from God. The Bible tells us that God loves us. We're his creation. We've been created in his image. And in order to restore this broken relationship, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the perfect offering for us. And that on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him as punishment for our sins, past, present, future, and that Jesus absorbed them all in full. And that ultimately, he was killed, and that he raised from the dead three days later. And then God puts this offer out that is, that is mind-boggling. It's something that I don't know that we can fully like, wrap our minds around the biblical truth that Jesus died on our behalf, that he was our substitute. And this opportunity to be restored to God is brought about through God's grace alone. We receive it by faith, trusting that God's word is true. And somehow in this exchange, like our, we're imputed, credited with God's righteousness into our account. Somehow our sin goes to him, his righteousness goes to us, and we're transformed. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's beautiful. And these individuals were transformed by the gospel, and as a result of, of the hope that they have in Christ, they began living their lives differently. And it manifested in loving one another and actually caring for one another, unlike they did previously. Norman Geisler on this says, a faith is the soul looking upward to God, love looks outward to others, and hope anticipates the future. I thought it was a good summary of that. He goes on to say, verse 6, which has come to you, that's the gospel, the gospel that has come to you, just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. So the gospel was received by them, the Spirit of God indwelt them. The fruit of the Spirit began manif- manifesting itself in their lives. They're bearing fruit, and it's, it's going out in their midst. And it's beautiful to see this and to see the Spirit of God still moving in our day and age, in our lives, and working through this last year. Like just looking around and seeing individuals that were, like, were not like here pre-pandemic and are now here, like God is doing stuff in our midst. And it's encouraging. And Paul is seeing the same thing during his era. He goes on to say, at the second half of verse 6, even as it has been doing in you, 
also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So he says, you've received it, you've understood, we see it happening. And I think that this understanding, there was a fight for their minds concerning who Christ is. And so he understands that they knew the grace of God, but this grace of God was being infringed upon and who Jesus was was being infringed upon by the world around them, and they were starting to drift. And so through this letter, Paul's desire is to teach them with clarity who Jesus is in all of his majesty and all of his glory so that they would stay focused and committed to him in, in walking with him. Verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bond servant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf and also informed us of your love in the Spirit. And so here we get kind of the backdrop of, of Colossians. I kind of see this and it's like, oh, Epaphras was a snitch. He told on them. I mean, he says it like, like Epaphras came to me and told on you guys that we, like, he said good things about you. But he informed us about the condition there, which is sort of sparking this letter. And he says, first, he starts by endorsing Epaphras. He's their pastor. He's gone all the way from Colossae to Rome to talk to Paul. Uh, incarceration then, in this, in this particular incarceration of Paul, it was house arrest. He could have people come and go. Um, but he was waiting for his, his seat before the emperor just to, to talk to Caesar. And, and, and so he came and he said, I'm going through this. And he says, you know, he came and he informed us on what was going on. And so he's going to start with an endorsement of Epaphras of, of saying, you know what, I'm the apostle, but you can trust your pastor. He says that he's a fellow worker with me. He's a fellow bond servant who is a faithful servant of Christ. And he's informed us. And so their pastor loved them so much and he saw syncretism which is them becoming like the culture around them and adapting that into how they were worshiping God and, and functioning. Um, that he loved them so much that he went to Paul to try to figure out, how do I navigate this? Um, and so this letter addresses the concerns that Epaphras has, um, and he begins by affirming what he knows about them. He said he's informed us of your love in the spirit. So that's good. That, that they do have the fruit. They are loving one another. They're, they're doing great things. He informs, he's going to continue by praying for them next, next week. And okay, so this introduction passions. I've kind of given a lot. I can see the look in your faces. Uh, this letter is going to take off. We're going to take it in small chunks so that we can navigate it. Charles Swindoll says in, in this book, the apostle Paul describes Jesus was some of the loftiest language in all of the New Testament. Did you guys hear the message? No, no, I heard it. I didn't hear what he said. Okay. So somebody bust in here, we should call 911. Uh, uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we just pray for whatever this helicopter is, um, is searching for. We don't know if somebody's safe or somebody's in danger. Uh, we pray that you would help the, the solution to be resolved uh, quickly and safely and that everybody would be okay. Uh, if they're searching for a kid, sometimes that happens. Lord, we pray that the child will be found. I can't really hear the message, but we, we uh, lift this situation to you and ask 
that everything would be resolved safely and securely. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Okay, so there's a lot of lofty language in this letter. Paul is going to force us, Paul is going to force us to put on our thinking caps and to really think through who is Jesus of the Bible. And it's going to challenge us. And if we allow the word of God to get into our minds and ultimately into our hearts, it, it, it's going to transform how we live our lives for him. I, I love how the Bible calls Jesus' followers into deeper relationship with one another, that, that the Christian life isn't about coming and giving an hour to, to God by sitting through a church service that you're bored to death at. It, it's, it's about giving our lives to him, to really uh, growing with what the Bible says, that we allow it to be manifested in how we go about interacting with one another, that we love one another, that we spend time with one another, that as we go through good times in life, we rejoice with one another. As hardships come, that we come around individuals and love on them and care for them. Uh, This is what the Bible is is calling us to do. All right, I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come up. I'm done. I'm retired from singing. Praise the Lord. They're going to come up. I'm going to close this with a song, or I'm going to close this with a prayer, and they're going to close this with a song. So uh, let's pray. Father, I do thank you again uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, letter of Colossians, Father, that we're just easing into. Um, there's so much here. Uh, we, If we're honest with ourselves, there is so much in our world through advertising, uh, through just what our culture says about you, um, where we're to prioritize ourselves, there, there is a battle raging for our minds. And so we pray, Father, that as we uh, commit to going through this letter of Colossians, that you would help us to rightly understand uh, who Jesus is, that we would let it sink deep to our hearts, and that we would surrender to you. Uh, we believe that as we um, examine Christ, we will see his authority, we'll see his sovereignty, meaning that he's in control of everything. We will see that um, that we can trust you to care for us in the, the, the little things of our life, and that ultimately we can sort of exhale and just trust that everything's going to be okay, that everything will work out in this life and in the next We pray, Father, that you would help us to truly live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. Help us to love one another well, and it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.